Hello, everyone. This is Ron Stiver, President of System Health Solutions. Good to be with our listeners today. It's been a while since we did our last podcast, but really pleased to be joined today with Dr. Paul Calkins, who's been on our podcast in the past. You'll recall uh, Dr. Calkins helps us a lot with our quality efforts here in SHS, specific to the surgery centers, but he also serves as Chief Quality Officer at IU Health. And then also Dr. Greg Kyre. Dr. Kyre serves as uh, Senior Vice President of Value-Based Care and Community Health and as Chief Medical Officer, so working with our various medical directors and system health solutions. So the topic today is the culture of safety. So PC, Dr. Calkins, uh, Dr. Kyre, pleased to be with you both today. Because you've both been on, we've done the normal icebreaker. I'm going to switch it up a little bit and ask you a new icebreaker question. So, Greg, we'll start with you. Growing up, who is your favorite teacher in school and why? I'd probably have to say Mr. Seal, my eighth grade science teacher. Uh, I loved science really as long as I can uh, remember and he just brought science to, to life and was very enthusiastic and uh, he just kind of built my uh, love for, for learning science. PC? I was a kindergartner so I'm gonna have to go with Mrs. Perlmutter because she was just kind of like a nurturing figure. You know, mine was a gentleman by the name of Mr. Vance. He was my fourth grade teacher. And true story, it's it's not been more than a couple of years ago. I, I went and found him on LinkedIn and actually made the connection and told him that he was my favorite teacher and all these years later. So we had a nice exchange back and forth. So it was, it was pretty cool. But okay, we, we talk a lot about culture safety. I want to talk, I want to get into a few things. We get into the, the survey itself, what we learned from the survey, but also you know, our approach to quality and safety within SHS and what we want all of our frontline team members doing. But let's first talk about this notion of culture of safety and what does that really mean at IU Health? PC, I'll start with you. Well, if you break it down to the um, sort of the bottom level and, and try to explain it in a phrase, I guess I would say that a culture of safety is really about the ability and willingness of our people to speak up when they identify a problem which might be a safety issue for our patients. Uh, we tend to write the culture of safety a little larger now and talk about team member safety as well, which is 100% appropriate. But when it comes right down to it, if you identify an issue, how do you feel about pointing that out? And do you think anything will happen if you do? Greg, anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, uh, it's all about these people, these patients, entrust their lives to us and how do we build the culture where we take as our number one priority you know kind of the old Hippocratic oath thing of you know first of all do no harm so how do we create the culture of learning when we do make mistakes I mean that's just part of being this business we are all human beings we are gonna make mistakes but how do we set a culture where when a mistake happens we learn and we try to prevent that from happening. And even more importantly, how do we create a culture of reporting, as Paul was talking about, where uh, we identify near misses, where we didn't actually harm someone, but we could have, and how do we learn from those to prevent us from ever harming someone? I actually want to also throw into the mix the fact that you don't just ad address and identify a problem and fix it, you then communicate back that the problem has been fixed, how it was fixed, and uh, make sure particularly that the person that reported it to you knows what happened because I'm not speaking about SHS in general, but certainly healthcare overall, that's the part we're not really that good at. And if you don't give people feedback on what they tell you, then they might not tell you the next time. 
Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think in the industry we're not better at that? I don't want to fall back on on whining, but we're just really not that great at communicating in general. I think there's a fair amount of problem just that people are busy, really busy. They also have lives outside. Our primary mode of communication is usually email, and email is not really a very good mode of communication, frankly, um, because it's really easy to get buried in a pile of emails and never actually see this particular one. And I might think my email is pretty important, but that doesn't mean that the recipient does. I think we just have a lot of fundamental issues around reliably and um, immediately and timely getting back to people and saying, wow, you brought up this issue. We fixed it. Here's what we did. Thank you. And I think maybe I wonder at times, too, if it's because I, you know, our team, members, we, we fix this problem of maybe because they are busy, don't necessarily recall the fact that, hey, if I share this, there's, there's other folks around the system that can benefit from the same learning. And if I faced it, then it may be occurring elsewhere too versus just solving this one instance. And in general, you know, our healthcare industry, we've got a long way to go to catching up to other industries uh, who've really done this better uh, than we have airline industries, <laughs> nuclear power plants, <laughs> um, landing aircraft on aircraft carriers, right? I mean, they have really honed this culture of safety, and we're learning. We've learned a lot, but we still have a ways to go to catch up. Across the system, we did a culture of safety survey. Talk a little bit about that survey, how often we do it, and also what we learned from that survey. Maybe PC will start with you, and you can talk about from the system perspective, but then also from an SHS perspective? Well, historically, we usually run a safety culture survey every couple of years. And in fact, it's actually a joint commission requirement that we do so. Um, in my personal opinion, remember, I'm the chief quality and safety officer. I'd do it whether the joint required it or not. But we did one this year. The last one was in 2021. The one we did in 2021 was called a, quote, pulse survey, unquote. It was only about 2,000 respondents, so it was pretty small compared to the size of IU Health. This time we got about 12,000 respondents, so a much more representative sample. As I recall, 2021 part of that was high to COVID. Absolutely, it was COVID, and so we did what we could. And can't fault for that being a case, it was just what we had. So we'll do another one in a couple of years and see how we do. You can't really ask too frequently because then you start turning people off. So we try to be careful about how often we ask people questions. In learnings from the, what we got back from those respondents? Well, probably the two major learnings that we um, are most concerned about is the two areas where we performed kind of the poorest. One of them was the communication of patient information during shift change. So we asked two questions. The first one is how well patient information is transmitted from unit to unit. That's a little tough on SHS, right, because that's pretty much of an inpatient-focused question. And then the second question we ask is, what about shift change? How well does, is patient information transferred during shift change? Usually or historically, we've done better on the shift change item than we do on the unit to unit item. And they were backwards this year. For some reason, it was uh, transfer across uh, of information across shift change really didn't score particularly well. That's pretty unusual. So that was the first one. And the second one was about the perception of leadership interest in patient safety. So if you look at uh, the question, it essentially is a version of patient safety is important to leaders. There's lots of ways to ask the question. And uh, if you're a leader, you tended to score that quite well. But if you're not a leader, you didn't. And so we 
pretty much asked our leaders to to talk with themselves and then with with everybody else about why the is there that difference in perception. Greg, anything you would add? Uh, no, I agree uh, with everything uh, Paul said, and we're trying to to take some new actions to address you know some of those things that were raised. I mean, I think we can be proud of our emphasis on quality in SHS. So we've got multiple metrics on, on every business line that we take very, very, very seriously. Uh, there's a great deal of accountability uh, throughout the whole system. Ron personally understands every one of those measures and holds us all accountable monthly for that kind of, of work and, and performance. I congratulate Paul uh, on his work uh, for the system, creating daily huddles uh, now to escalate safety and, and quality issues uh, up from uh, the very front lines of the organization to the very top uh, of the organization. Uh, uh, so I think that's part of what has come out of uh, this survey work. Uh, uh, we're doing a good job escalating things. I think as a survey uh, brought out. Uh, we need to do a better job of kind of getting things back down to the front line so people know uh, what changes uh, were made based on uh, uh, their raising issues. So again, I greatly uh, applaud Paul's uh, work on doing this survey uh, and then some of the actions that we're putting in place uh, to try to uh, address the concerns of our frontline folks because our frontline folks are the ones who understand the work and truly understand how we're going to keep our patients safer. PC, given the criticality of quality and safety to our mission, everything we do is prominent on our promised dashboard and so forth. Speak to the, the framework for safety within the organization and then maybe touch upon some of the tools. Greg mentioned tier huddle. You know, you can talk a little bit more about that and others, but start with kind of the framework. Well, so we actually use a framework uh, called STEEP. It's S-T-E-E-E-P. There's an extra E. Uh, so that's safe, timely, efficient, equitable, effective, and patient-centered care. That's what the where it comes from. Um, safe is generally about preventing harm. So recognizing that quality and safety are actually kind of different. Quality is about doing something well, and safety is about preventing adverse outcomes. If you actually look at the Promise dashboard, until the ambulatory quality index was put on there, the, the quality part was mostly about negative outcomes. So it's really kind of a safety matrix, if you will. So it's very interesting now that we have the ambulatory index that it includes quality as well. Um, but safety, like we talked about, timely, meaning mostly about weight and patient flow. Effectiveness is really about when we fix something, does it stay fixed? And that's usually measured. Most of these are inpatient metrics. It's usually measured on readmissions. Um, Efficient is also about patient flow. How long do you stay in the ED? What's your length of stay? Equitable is what you might think. I have to say, honestly, our, our, our equity team is doing amazing and groundbreaking work. It's been fascinating to watch them as they develop all of these really interesting measures of equity. Patient-centered for, for the purposes of uh, IU Health is using an external vendor who's essentially asking about um, net positive responses to questions about uh, about people's care um, and it's very real time I, if you guys ever went to the hospital in 2008 you got a piece of paper in the mail two months later asking how your experience went and now we're pinging people the day after they go after they get home from the doctor right via text yeah yeah just a really nice modern formulation um, so 
there's a lot of work to be done. Not all of those teams roll up to me, obviously. Um, certainly not the patient experience work or the equity work, thank goodness, because I, I would not be able to, to manage that kind of bandwidth. But I think we're working with a lot of incredibly capable people across the organization. Can you share more about the tiered huddle? Um, it's, I know you and the team put a lot of work into this, talking to some other systems who, who have done this for some time. Talk about what's the intent behind it and how the process works and how it's going so far. So this started on the 2nd of October, so we're three weeks into it. And it's really been an interesting uh, evolution. I have to tell you, I've been, I heard about tiered huddles almost 20 years ago when I was taking some courses in uh, safety officer training. And we modeled ours mostly on the Cleveland Clinic. And the idea is that almost every unit or work area has some kind of a huddle during the day. And so that would be a tier one huddle because it's at the individual work level. M many areas, and I come out of the hospital side, have some sort of an aggregate huddle where the managers of those individual units get together to talk about what's going on at the director level or perhaps at the, at the individual hospital level, that would be a tier two. Um, well, that would probably actually be, the tier two would be at the individual director level. Oftentimes tier three would roll up to individual hospital leadership. And then those hospital leaders are grouped into uh, groups of hospitals that we call business units. and that's tier four, so what's going on at the business unit level? And the president of that business unit receives all that information. And most of our business units have had some version of that. Uh, the new part, though, is that now we have the presidents come and tell each other what's going on every Monday through Friday at 1130. Just very quick report out, boom, 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 boom. Were there any, were there any staff injuries? Were there any patient injuries? Was there a fall? How many surgeries did we have? Is our ED backed up? It's a whole series of things. It's very rapid fire. Everybody reports out, including SHS. They have slightly modified metrics because they're not a hospital. And uh, then the leader of the Tier 5 huddle, Brian Shockney, takes that information to ET a half hour later. And the intent is to let everybody sort of have an understanding of how everyone else is doing at the Tier 5 level, and then for the senior executives to know what's going on. It's really hard in a place the size of IU Health for someone in, you know, Dennis Murphy's shoes or, or your shoes, because you're on senior leader team, to, to know, you don't need to know it all the way down at the granular level, but having just sort of an, an everyday understanding of are we winning or losing today is something that's been really kind of hard to get. And that's what the tiered huddle is really for. It's not intended to replace a dashboard that we produce monthly. It, but it might prompt questions that ask someone to go back to the dashboard and explain what's going on. Greg, have you, you and I both attend the, the tier four huddles from an SHS-wide perspective. How, what are your thoughts on it so far? Yeah, again, I think uh, we're still learning. Uh, I think as it is today, it'll be a little bit different uh, a few months from now. Uh, but I love the concept of uh, kind of the institution saying that safety is one of our most important missions, that we want to hear from the very front lines up to the CEO of the organization every single day uh, on significant uh, events. So uh, I think it's a, a nice step forward. Again, we're still learning. We're going to modify it. But uh, I like the commitment that the institution is making to uh, put safety as one of our most important 
missions. I attend the tier four once and then attend the tier six, which is the system wide too, and they're relatively efficient too. But I'm also intrigued by this idea of cataloging these over time and saying, can we begin to identify trends? And again, common root causes and, and address things before maybe they become more larger systemic issues. Greg, from an SHS perspective, when we think about quality and safety, what would you say are some of the more areas of progress or things that you're proud of? Yeah, I think we can be really proud of kind of the work we've done. It's never enough, right? We always can have ways to improve. Um, but every single one of our clinical business units have multiple measures that roll up and are reviewed in monthly quality uh, committees that roll up to what we call QSARs, quality safety uh, accreditation and risk uh, committees. We have like four of them through SHS. Those then uh, all roll up to our uh, senior leadership team. And again, I think we can all be really proud, you know, that Ron makes this a priority, right? He holds all of us accountable to doing this right, to uh, taking this extremely seriously, to put the patient's benefit uh, first. And, you know, like no other part of this organization that I've been in, we make quality and safety an integral part uh, of all of our uh, business meetings. So uh, I think we can be uh, really proud of the work. I think what's our ask uh, of our frontline folks? How can you help us? It really comes down to things that, that Paul mentioned before. We need you to report. Uh, we need every single person uh, to be a, a quality and safety officer, to be looking uh, uh, for opportunities, to, to uh, looking for near misses, reporting near misses, so we can continue to learn. Again, I'm really proud of our quality team. Susan Shepard's done a really nice job of, of helping us uh, build it. We've got uh, multiple risk experts <laughs> that help us, uh, again, do root cause analyses when we do have uh, significant events. So uh, I'm really proud of the infrastructure that we've developed, and uh, uh, we just ask for your help in helping us identify and report uh, issues when you see them. You know, we have new team members coming in regularly, too, who um, maybe they're newer to the industry, maybe they're newer to IU Health, how do they go about if they see a missed opportunity or see an error, how do they go about, you know, we say raise your hand, huh? what does that look like? Yeah, we do have a technology system that gathers all these called ClearSight. Uh, if you don't know about how to uh, put one of these incidents in ClearSight, we encourage you to ask your boss. Uh, they'd be more than happy to kind of walk you through uh, the process. But we do want to gather these in, in a formal way. Uh, so uh, that is our ask, uh, that when you see near misses, uh, uh, that we go ahead and we get those in our ClearSight uh, system. And that way they get distributed to all the right people who can then analyze them and take action. PC, what advice do you have for our leaders who are listening to as they go about and trying to create that right, appropriate culture of safety within their work units? Well, so I'm going to go back to a catchphrase that most people aren't going to recognize, but is very dear to my heart, which is called deference to expertise. It's one of the uh, five sort of uh, important factors in, uh, in a safety culture. Deference to expertise means that you need to listen to an expert when they tell you something about what they are expert in. And that doesn't mean me, a doctor, is more expert than a, a transportation um, team member. Because the transportation team member works in their area, which means they are an expert on their area. So if they have a concern about their area, I need to listen to them. Because they know something that I don't know. And so I think if I were, a, if I were to 
give advice to a leader, it's very easy to forget that your frontline people probably know things that you don't know, particularly if you came from doing that before. I mean, I've been here since 1987. I came from a lot of different areas, but I wouldn't claim to have frontline knowledge about those areas now. Um, so I think it's really important to always remember that if somebody brings you an issue, it's very likely they know something you don't yet know. Very good point. I'll just emphasize too, I think there is a heavy cultural element here, right, of raising your hand and, and you know, in some industries you might say, hey, we made a mistake, let's let's push that to the side. That can't be the case if we're to do what we do and do it well and in best service of our patients. We need to create an environment where our team members raise their hand, acknowledge those misses or near misses so that we can learn from them. Uh, oftentimes there are root causes below the surface that we need to go and discover to, to combat, and we can't do that unless we have that appropriate culture and transparency around this too. And so I tell you, I feel better knowing you two as uh, leaders in this space that we're going to continue to move in the right direction as well. Appreciate you both being here today. Appreciate all of our listeners um, and SHS team members. Um, you know, and, and as always, what I'd ask is if you have suggestions for future podcasts, please don't hesitate to let me know that. Uh, you can email me at rstiver at iuhealth.org, and we will look forward to uh, speaking with you soon again.